Welcome, welcome, curious souls, to the Macabre Emporium, your sanctuary for the unusual, the mysterious, and the appalling. Step through our cryptic doorway into a world where secrets whisper and enigmas come to life. I'm David. And I'm Sarah. Together, we're your custodians of the macabre, guiding you through tales that defy the ordinary. Discover the untold stories, from lesser-known cases of true crime to the bizarre events that captivate us. Join us on a journey to the shadows where the mainstream fades and the extraordinary beckons. So whether you seek the bizarre, the eerie, or the chillingly obscure, you're in for a treat here at Macabre Emporium. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. This is episode 50. Hooray! 50! Halfway to 100. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. Welcome. So with our end of the year, we had a huge surprise of things happened to us. We actually finished the month of December with our highest number of 912 downloads, which is like insane. I never thought that would ever Mm -hmm. happen so soon, but... It's all thanks to you guys, other people we've talked to, been guests on. So we appreciate each and every one of you, like we said in our end of the year video. But now that that final number is in, it still blew me away. Yeah. But hopefully everybody, everybody's holidays were good and were safe and all that good stuff. And Because even though we didn't do a whole lot for ours, because we're kind of homebodies in the first place. And we're too old to be going out on New Year's Eve. Well, there ain't shit going on around here anyways. Well, that's true, but it is what it is. Even if there was, still would want to stay home anyhow. You're a homebody. So are you. I like to go out and do stuff once in a while. I know. So, since we don't have too much else to report on this week, what do you have for us this week, Sarah? I don't <laughs> I don't really know how to categorize this, because... It's a mystery episode. It's, subject. it's, it's different, because it isn't intentionally true crimey right but it kind of winds up being accidental it it's, how does it accidentally become true crime you'll find out when i read it all right because <laughs> it's, it's uh, after i read it you tell me what you would say what it would be categorized as all right what do you got well you know i got my usual history but with what you said about yours i mean you did say you want to start branching out past true crime anyway so maybe this is the right is a the right step in that direction, I guess you could say, since it is the new year. You're supposed to start the new year off on uh, your right foot, like you did in our New Year's Eve episode. Correct. But, so. yeah, I don't know what this is. But, like I said, you know, I got my usual history. It kind of be a little surprising that with my family's history that has taken me this long to cover this topic. But one of our listeners' daughter, Arias, it's their first year in Girl Scouts, so I figured this is time that I actually covered this topic, and that is the Girl Scout cookie, because we're getting ready to go into that season here, and actually the end of this week. Mm-hmm. So that's it. I'm bringing everybody the history of the, you know, the sweetest cookie ever made, technically, or whatever, or the most famous cookie, probably, uh, next to Oreos. Probably. But that's what I'm doing this week, so you're getting ready to get started? And it's probably a good thing you didn't say I'm bringing everybody Girl Scout cookies because then everybody's going to be expecting a box. <laughs> no, sorry. I don't have $6, enough money to buy everybody a $6 box of cookies. They're $6 this year? It all, yeah, most that's what they're. Dang. But we're going to hold on to my rage on that later. But anyhow, are you ready to get started then? I are. All right, let's get going. All right. On February 19th, 1994, it was just an ordinary day at the Riverside General Hospital in Riverside, California. 
but at 8.15 that evening, it would change and become anything but a typical day at work. 23 people would become ill and or injured, five would become hospitalized, and one person would be dead. Okay, this is a little bit odd for, well, it doesn't really sound odd for a hospital, but... It's odd. (laughs) Oh, I get that, but, you know, it's like, this is a hospital, that shit happens every day. Yeah, you'll you'll understand. Right. 30-year-old Gloria Ramirez started feeling unwell. I assume as unwell as anyone with late-stage cervical cancer would. She had been diagnosed six weeks prior to this night, but on this night, she started having heart palpitations... Um, Her blood pressure was rapidly dropping, and she was very short of breath. If you're in that situation, like any normal person would be like, you know, call an ambulance. Right. So that's what she did. Like, it could be that she was just having typical symptoms of cancer, or it could be that her body was reacting to cancer treatments. When the ambulance and EMTs arrived, they saw the state that Glory was in and loaded up loaded her up quickly, and put her on oxygen to help her breathing. They headed in the direction of Riverside General Hospital, and once there, she was unloaded and rushed to a room in the emergency department wing. Doctors came in to start treating Gloria. She was in panic mode, so they gave her a combination of lorazepam, diazepam, and midazolam, 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 something. Bamalam. I hate that song. (laughs) But those were given to her to sedate her while they tried to stabilize her. However, Gloria did not respond well to one of or combination of those medications they used to calm her down. She wound up flatlining and the doctors went into immediately or into immediate life-saving measures. They busted out the defibrillator and primed it for, you know, use before they could actually use it on Gloria. Of course, they had to remove her shirt so they could put the sticky pads on her. Right, and now I get burned from the underwire. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I didn't think about that. When they did this, they noted that she had a glossy, like, oily sheen to her body, her skin. Okay. They didn't think anything of it other than, like, hey, she probably had lotion on. So they went ahead and they zapped her with the defibrillator. They got Gloria back, barely, and continued to work on her. Though it seemed everything they tried just wasn't working. One nurse that was standing near the head of the bed said that Gloria had an extremely strong smell of garlic coming from her mouth, like overpoweringly garlicky. But she wouldn't be the only one to notice a harsh smell. Susan Kane was in the room and was drawing blood from Gloria to send in for lab testing. When she pulled the needle back out of Gloria's arm, she said that it smelled like a very harsh ammonia. Her blood did. Okay. She handed it off to... Another person that was actually going to be the one to take it to the lab. And she put it up to her nose and smelled it. And she said, yeah, it smells just like ammonia. What in the fuck's going on here? (laughs) Yeah. See, my mind's already, you know, since I'm a conduit of nonsense, basically. Mm -hmm. Is that like you said, one person died and they're talking about the garlic they smelled. That's like, that person wants a vampire. (laughs) So... The one that had the vial at the end held it up to the light just to kind of look at, you know, look in the blood, see if right. there was any abnormal abnormalities. And there were like manila colored crystals floating in her blood, which if you didn't know, like crystals in your blood's probably not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Definitely not normal. But this is when things go from a little odd to extremely odd. Susan Kane, the nurse that had drawn the blood fainted. Thankfully, Dr. Umberto 
Ochoa was next to her and caught her before she hit the floor. When she came to, she told Dr. Ochoa that she felt like her face was burning. From there, more medical staff in the room began to have mysterious symptoms of their own. Julie Gorchinski, a medical resident that handled the vial after Susan, she's the one that saw the crystals in the blood, stated that she also wasn't feeling well. She wound up fainting and went into convulsions. Another nurse was in the room, started feeling dizzy and nauseous, and went to sit at the nurse's station. When another nurse passed by her and saw, like, just the look on her face, I guess, she had asked her, like, are you are you feeling okay? And that nurse fainted. See, like, even knowing my head right now, it's like, all right, they need to get this lady in a negative pressure fucking flow room at this point, because all hospitals do have those for infectious diseases. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, this is where this lady needs to be, like, right fucking now. <laughs> Because we're on, like, our body count's, what, four already so far? Yeah, it's two. Two as of right now. Maureen Welch, a respiratory therapist, had been the one delivering oxygen to Gloria in the hospital. She also wound up fainting. At this point, everyone is starting to suspect there's, like, a natural gas leak in the hospital, and so they evacuate everybody, except for Gloria. There were a few medical staff that stayed in the room with Gloria, trying to stabilize her, but to no avail. Gloria Ramirez was pronounced deceased at 8.50 p.m., a short 35 minutes after entering Riverside General Hospital. The people that worked in the room with Gloria all kind of agreed that what happened to everyone was not the work of a gas leak in the hospital, but stemmed from Gloria herself. So just to be safe, Gloria's body was moved to a quarantined room to be held while they waited for her autopsy to be done. Of course, now they fucking put her in there. Well, they were trying to save her life. Right, but... You know, I don't work in a hospital, but I do know of things of being in hospitals. But I'm like, already my thought was like, fuck, you got two people dropping out. And like, (laughs) but, you know, at this time, they didn't know it was she's the cause of this or whatever. Or if that's, I mean, obviously she's the cause because she's already got all this other weird shit going on. So I'm making that assumption already. Sally Balderas was one of the people that helped move Gloria's body. And very soon after doing so, started vomiting and screaming that it felt like her skin was on fire. Everyone that was evacuated was still outside, waiting on hazmat to come in and do a sweep. And when they did, there was no biological, chemical, or gas leak inside of the building. This only furthered the doctors and nurses that worked on Gloria's suspicions even higher that what happened wasn't a hospital thing, it was a Gloria thing. Right. In an effort to further contain whatever Gloria brought in with her, she was sealed inside of an aluminum casket and put back into the quarantine room. After this, the emergency rooms were opened up to be used again. In total, 23 people in the emergency department wing of the hospital reported some type of illness, be it nausea, vomiting, skin feeling like it was burning, fainting. Five of the hospital staff were hospitalized, even after Gloria had been sealed up in the aluminum casket inside the quarantine room. And damn. Susan Kane was in the hospital for 10 days dealing with her symptoms. Julie Gorchinski was in for two weeks and was dealing with developing hepatitis and avascular necrosis in her knees because of this incident. She wound up being off of work for six months due to having to use crutches because of all the bone density she lost from the necrosis. Others experienced temporary paralysis, severe dizziness, and disorientation, among many other symptoms. But what, like, what exactly do you think happened to Gloria? Or, like, what do you think would cause this to happen to all these people around Gloria? Fuck, I don't know. 
I mean, it's, it's like making me think of the opening lyrics of, you know, Johnny Cash's The Man Comes Around, as I heard. You know, where he mentions, like, come and see, and I saw him behold the white horse, meaning, you know, the plague horse, you know, the apocalypse. Oh. It's like, this is like what we're thinking. Oh, jeez. That she's one of the four horsemen, basically. A horsewoman. Well, horsewoman. One week after Gloria was declared deceased, she had her first autopsy done. The medical examiner waited a week in hopes that whatever Gloria had going on would have subsided and not be re-released to make anyone else right. sick. Those working in the morgue suited up in full hazmat gear as precaution and got to work. When the reports and lab work came back, it showed that Gloria was clean. Not an ounce of chemical or radioactive material was found in her system. Nothing. Well, no shit, because she off-gassed everything else in the hospital <laughs> and the fucking morgue. It's like, did they leave her out back the air out a little bit first, or what? They did find the medications that the doctors had given her, as well as acetaminophen, which is just plain old Tylenol, um, lidocaine, which is a numbing agent, and uh, Tigan, which is an anti-nausea medication. But all of these, well, these last three, the Tylenol, Tigan, Lidocaine, mm -hmm. those are all very common to be found in people that are going through cancer treatments. Which I mean, I also guess they don't interact with each other and probably not interact with each other to cause a biological issue like this. Right. Gloria's cause of death came back as heart complications stemming from kidney failure. Or becoming the fucking white horse, maybe. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Her cancer, plus the medications taken, had caused the kidney failure. It also showed that she was going through the early stages of liver failure. Because of her liver failure, she had backup of toxins in her system, which led to the heart problems and her eventual death. Okay. Okay. You good there? Yeah. But how does this add up to 23 people? Yeah. Like, what the being, fuck here? You know, sick with various things. Right. That were directly, like, on top oh. of her. In, so in the she room. was the one death and not, like, one of the hospital people, like Correct. I was saying. So there wasn't a vampire after there all. There was not a vampire. Gloria's body was resealed again, and five weeks after the initial autopsy, she had a second one performed. This time, they took samples from all of the tissues throughout her body. During this autopsy, the Department of Health was making their rounds and doing their investigation into what happened that night. And everything that they tested came back negative for anything out of the ordinary. With this, the Department of Health decided that Gloria did indeed die from heart problems and went as far to, as to proclaim that everyone else that got sick that night was just dealing with mass psychogenic illness, a.k.a. mass hysteria. Yeah, okay. 30-some people were talked to that were in the building that day, and a common theme was found among them. It was mostly women that became ill, as well as those that had not eaten dinner that night. It was said that the ones that just felt nauseous happened to be the ones that hadn't eaten. But the ones that got severely ill were all women. Because women were most often the ones to be hit by mass hysteria. Right. The men that were in the room also said they were feeling unwell, but it was only the women that had felt it severely by fainting and saying that they felt like their skin was burning. The hospital workers were not okay with the summary given by the Department of Health. Understandable. Because, oh, no <laughs> you know, they lived the fucking thing and didn't just read about it on paper like they did. Right. Julie Gorchinsky wound up suing the hospital because she was unable to collect workman's comp due to the Department of Health um, report. Even though it was from something that came from the hospital. So, she sued them. 
What had happened to Julie was researched by Lawrence Livermore Laboratories. They used Gloria samples against Julia's. They also did a full lab request on Gloria's sample. And they did find something interesting. They found dimethyl sulfone, DMSO. Okay. It's a natural chemical that can be found in trace amounts within one's own body. Eating a lot of plant-based foods or eggs, really anything containing sulfur in it, will make it show up in your system. Once it's broken down by your digestive tract, the dimethyl sulfone will show up in trace amounts. Like, very, very, very tiny number. Or tiny, like point zero 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 yes. or whatever. trace amounts. DMSO actually um, naturally decomposes in about three days and by itself is harmless at any concentration. Right. Gloria's sample from six weeks after her death showed that she had at least six times the amount of DMSO in her system. And remember, it only takes three days for that shit to go away. Right. So keep in mind, this was six weeks after her death. While she was alive, it would have been hundreds of times higher since it, like I said, naturally decomposes in three days. Scientist Pat Grant, a researcher in the case, did more digging into this and noted that dimethyl sulfone, DMSO, and dimethyl sulfoxide, DMSO2, had literally just the only difference in them is that DMSO2 had oxygen, yeah. hence the O2. Right. One oxygen atom is the only difference. It was also found that prolonged usage of DMSO2 would cause damage to the lens of your eyes. And with that, it was blacklisted as a direct medication from the FDA. It is still used today, just in extremely diluted concentrations. They use it for, like, morphine patches. Like, mm -hmm. anything you have to put on your body, right. it works as a carrier agent into your skin to carry the medication that's on the patch. Right. So that's what that's for. In the 1980s, scientists stated that DMSO2 could be used as a cancer treatment. Basically a cure-all is what they said it was. People could literally walk into a hardware store, buy some DMSO2, and rub it on areas that had muscle pain, and the next morning it would be gone. Now I say they could walk into a hardware store and get it because it was a very powerful degreaser. Paint remover, oven cleaner, was commonly used in the 80s for those three things. When it was used, it had a heavy odor of garlic. Much like the smell coming from Gloria's mouth when she entered the hospital. Tigan, the anti-nausea medication that I mentioned earlier that showed up in her lab work, that breaks down into amines in the body. Amines are related to ammonia, which could explain the ammonia smell coming from the blood that was taken out of her arm. But we don't know. In its appearance when used on the skin, DMSO2 typically looks like an oily gel type of lotion. Just like the sheen that Gloria had on her body when they removed her clothing to use the defibrillator on her. While all of this is just hypothetical, given the time and the fact that DMSO2 could be used as a cancer cure-all, Gloria may have tried to use this as a home remedy for her cervical cancer, especially since she had only found out six weeks prior to her going to the hospital that she already had late-stage cancer. Like, not enough time to get chemo, right. any of that. So, like, did she try it in hopes that it would cure her cancer? Possibly, is what it sounds like here. There was no DMSO2 found in her body. It was just DMSO. The DMSO would need to encounter a lot of oxygen to turn it into DMSO2. Pat Grant, the scientist, thought about it and remembered that Gloria was given oxygen via an oxygen mask when en route to the hospital and again at the hospital. 
So they basically made it internally in her inside of her body when she was in route to the hospital, basically. That would have made it very easy to change DMSO into DMSO2 with concentrated oxygen like that you get from an oxygen mask. It was also found that DMSO2, when found at room temperature, contained small crystals, like the ones that were found in the blood vial. Pat Grant didn't experiment and added DMSO2 to room temperature blood, and crystals began to form. Which explains a lot, but again, at any concentration, DMSO and DMSO2 are not lethal. So, kind of back at square one. Pat Grant did more investigating and found another thing. DMSO4, which is dimethyl sulfate. Simply put, nerve gas. It had been tested in the 1970s and 1980s as an agent for nerve gas. It dated all the way back to World War I, when France and Germany tested it for use in chemical warfare. Is it starting to come together yet? Yep. <laughs> in 1987, DMSO4 was found to be super dangerous. It would only take 10 minutes of exposure to a half gram per cubic meter to kill somebody. Of the 20 symptoms reported in the hospital, 19 of them were directly linked to symptoms of DSO4. DMSO4, sorry. The only one that wasn't linked was vomiting. Scientists stated that it was never seen in any of their experiments. But if you look up DMSO4 now, which I did when writing this, it does show vomiting as one of the symptoms. It is apparently really easy to make DMSO into DMSO2 simply by adding oxygen. It's not as easy to make DMSO2 into DMSO4. Right, because I'm sure there's more steps into the process of it. Two methyl bonds would need to be broken, and then those two would need to connect to oxygen twice over. It takes a lot of energy to break it down, even once, let alone to have to do it twice. But there was something that used a lot of energy, or rather created a lot of energy... I don't know, maybe happened to be a defibrillator, maybe. The defibrillator. Pat Grant thought that the DMSO2 was electrocuted by the defibrillator as that would have given it enough energy to break apart the bonds it had or to restructure itself with other chemicals and elements in Gloria's body. Other scientists have agreed with that. However, all of this is hypothetical. But if this is what happened, which many people believe it is this essentially would have turned the hospital into a gas chamber yeah because if she's like literally covered in this shit and got that zap a couple times or whatever yep not enough to be lethal definitely enough to make a lot of people sick right uh also all of that sciencey shit i'm gonna say thanks to wendigoon on youtube because reading that made no sense to me i had to listen to somebody like dumb right. it down for me so yeah wendigoon on youtube but there was a third autopsy done by the request of Gloria's family. The coroner came and did a private autopsy 10 weeks after Gloria's death. They noted that her heart was missing, which would be on par because she had right. two prior autopsies. autopsies. They had to figure out what happened in her heart. Of course, they're going right. to take it out and they have to slice it and biopsy well, and all that stuff. Weight and all that good stuff. Yep. Um, so that, not a shocker. They said that there was also a lot of internal organs that had traces of feces on them. But you have to remember, this is 10 weeks after she died. Like, there's going to be right. decomposition. Her bowel will open. It will slosh right. and touch other organs inside her body. So that's not really anything like, oh, my God, you know? Well, to those that want to understand or yeah. 
heard about how autopsies are done and all that stuff for like we have, but I didn't understand that. So yeah. conspiracy theorists said that it was all done as a cover up for what? Don't know. Couldn't find anything. But there was no proof or merit to back up any of the conspiracy theories. Right. Because there's always one group that's got to come out when a weird like shit happens. It's like recently, like as today, I seen like they're trying to say, I think it was in Miami, Florida. I guess some like massive brawl broke out and people are trying to say it was a cover up of fucking aliens or some stupid oh, shit. Jesus. It's just Florida. Floridians being Floridians. Right. It's like, shut up. You're in Florida. Nobody actually believes a word coming out of your mouth. <laughs> All right. So Gloria was laid to rest 10 weeks after her death on April 20th in 1994 at the Olivewood Memorial Park in Riverside, California. Her family continues to deny that Gloria ever used DMSO2 as a home remedy. It could be that they didn't know she was using it. It could be that they knew she was using it and doesn't want to let others know that she had a hand in her own death. She didn't do anything wrong. It was just a lot of little things that added up to something to huge. one big thing. Right. But today, well, to this day, scientists still work with DMSO, DMSO2, and DMSO4, and they use Gloria's case specifically as a footnote in their findings in hopes that this situation never happens again. Right. But let's, let's hope it doesn't, because that's terrifying. Like, can you even still buy this DSMO2 stuff, like, off the shelf? Um. Because of this? That I don't know. Oh. I'm not sure. If you can, it's very low concentrations of it. Like, very low. But I don't know. I didn't look it up. I should have. But I didn't. Now, do you get what I'm saying when I was like, it's not true crimey, but it turns a little true crimey? Because she didn't do anything wrong. She was using the stuff in hopes that it would cure Mm -hmm. her cancer. But then her getting the oxygen from the people that were trying to help her. Right. And the defibrillator basically put nerve gas in the air at the hospital right so how would you categorize that i have no idea <laughs> i don't either so i'm like i don't know it's almost like yeah she fucking stole my part of the episode because of being some weird oddball thing that happened you know i told you you'd like that i know but i'm just saying she's stealing my shit again <laughs> again i don't know i think there's like some other organs or some history shit you've done in the past that i was like She's stealing my stuff, everybody. Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. I I probably said that at one point where I'm just imagining it. Could be. But yeah, that's it for Gloria Ramirez, whose nickname is the Toxic Lady. So, like, with all of your, the weird, like, poison-y gas type things that you've researched. I think I've only done two of those, really. I I felt like it was more. Anyways, what, what's your, what's your takeaway from that case like with you know my previous training that i've had is just like things that were going on it's like okay this is starting to sound like a terrorist attack because of early onset illnesses coming up out of nowhere for Mm -hmm. no reason with no explanation so that was like my first thought because you know that you know that train of thought shit never is gonna leave my head yeah even then is even though it's been like 10 years since then but it was still like what the fuck's going on here because it's like I don't know. It's like, even as you're reading things off, even in my head, I'm still trying to trying to decipher what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's like my guess was before you got to it was like some kind of medication reaction. But you got to that point, it's like none of these are, interact with each other. Yeah. So then I was like, okay, fucking now what? And then, <laughs> and then you started reading through all the 
chemical types and whatnot. It's like, oh, so something's here got turned into this from this because of like in Attack of the Dead Men, you know, hydrochloric acid changes once it's exposed to air. Mm-hmm. Now chlorine changes into hydrochloric acid once it's exposed to moisture or water. I don't remember off the top of my head at this point. Yeah. Without going back and look, which I'm not doing. Right. So it's just weird how like one atom can change. Mm-hmm. And how something as simple as getting oxygen right one thing that's like that brings life reaction. to everything is like i can gonna fucking wreck your day now by one super teeny tiny atom yep, yep. it's crazy mm-hmm. i knew you'd like that one that definitely felt like a you episode but then i was like no i've had her on my list for a long time right. i'm doing it now there's nothing wrong with you jumping in on that side of things because we've yeah. done double true crime stuff but that was could have been a double what the fuck if we yeah. compared it with something else again and... what would you have classified like what category would you put know. that in I have no idea where we would put that in other than maybe weird history or just history and general stuff or Cause, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's it's not true crime, but little pieces added up to essentially somebody bringing nerve gas into the hospital with them. Right. But anyways, I'm ready to hear your story. Oh, you are? Yeah. Yeah, the start of the new year when we all want to do better than the last. Some of you might want to get your finances straight. Some of you might want to go out and learn something new. Maybe even some of you want to get in better shape and doing so well and staying on track, but be careful, soon they will appear. Who you might ask? Oh, I'm sure you know who I mean. No, you know exactly who I mean. Those little smiling devils in green or brown vest offering sweet temptations in many shapes as they have them piled high. You easily ignore their calls when you see them at the storefronts at first, but now it's too late for you. As you're already thinking about the treasures they offer, you hope that they leave the territory they have staked claim to before you leave the store. But they haven't. They're still there. As you check out, you try to ignore them, but they are staring at you. Staring you down with soulless smiles, just waiting for you to come close enough. But this time you can't resist. You've been in the store for too long, and their first song hasn't escaped your mind. Their second call does you in. Would you like to buy some cookies? Now, I'm not talking about real devils of the sort, but I am talking about the Girl Scouts and their cookies. It's been a long time joke that I've always heard around here that the Girl Scouts have their cookie sales at this time of year as they are in cahoots with gyms nationwide. Because of how, you know, convenient is that? Just like, oh, hey, we're just going to ruin everybody's New Year's resolution and have our cookie sales because Uh nobody can fucking deny our, you know, deny our cookies. But originally this week, I was going to bring you an inspirational tale but as one of our listeners' daughter, Araya's first year as a Girl Scouts, her first year in Girl Scouts, I figured it was time that I covered this topic. As Sarah, you know my family was mm-hmm. big into boy boy and Girl Scouts. And you have heard and see, even seen the stacks of cases my sister used to have stored in her house, causing her a temporary increase of her house's value for about yep. two months. And it was also nicknamed the Cookie Vault during these times. The Cookie Vault? Yeah. <laughs> so, but for real quick... I, as this topic can be its own separate episode, I'm sure that my mother would be excited to hear this, but the Girl Scouts were founded by Juliet Gordon Lowe in 1912 after meeting with Sir Robert Baden Powell, who was the founder of Boy Scouts in the previous year of 1911. As she returned to her home in Savannah, Georgia, she telephoned a distant cousin saying, I have something for the girls of Savannah and all of America and all of the world, and we're going to start tonight. And on March 12th, 1912, the Girl Scouts were born. 
it wouldn't be until 1917 that their first Girl Scout cookies would actually be sold in Muskogee, Oklahoma by the Mistletoe Troop. The first cookie sale was intended for the girls of the Mistletoe Troop to raise money to send care packages to World War I troops from Oklahoma. So I actually do have the recipe here for the, you know, this 1917 recipe for the actual, what's called, and has been credited everywhere as the original Girl Scout cookie recipe. Is it made of real Girl Scouts? No, it's not. What oh. they? <laughs> I've been wondering when you were going to try and slip that in here. <laughs> right now. So, the recipe that goes. One cup of butter, one cup of sugar plus an additional amount for topping, two eggs, two tablespoons of milk, one teaspoon vanilla, two cups of flour, one teaspoon of salt, two teaspoons baking powder, so when they make these cookies, you would cream, butter, and sugar together, and then you would add in well-beaten eggs, then milk, vanilla, flour, salt, and baking powder, and you refrigerate it for one hour like you would normally do cookie dough. And then you would roll out your dough, cut it out in the trefoil shapes, which is the shape of the Girl Scout emblem that everybody knows. Mm -hmm. And then you would sprinkle sugar on top if you desired to do this. Bake in a quick oven is, as it's written out, but, you know, we just do know it as an oven at 375 degrees for approximately 8 to 10 minutes or until the edges begin to brown. And this makes six to seven dozen cookies by this recipe. So I'm going to share this recipe link, the link that I got this recipe from in the Facebook group. And there is a section in there. You can cut it down and it'll automatically change the ingredient amounts that you're going to need. So if you want to make this, remember they could change your yield to one, two dozens or whatever, or you're going to end up with seven dozen cookies if you follow this exactly. Yeah. But also in a first that we've done for an episode here, we actually went and made these cookies. We did. Yeah. That's an experience. Yeah. So <laughs> So what we're going to do is we're going to actually try some of this original recipe and tell you guys our thoughts on them. But we're not. I know some of you might suffer from what is it? Misophonia. Misophonia. We're not going to eat these on recording. So we're going to take a real quick break, I guess you could say. And, and we're we'll gonna... be right back. And we're back. <laughs> so, yeah, it's basically just like the shortbreads that you can get now. Yep. I think maybe a little bit sweeter. Yeah. Than the shortbreads. but Right. Because, you know, those are commercially made. But yeah, everything you make at home is usually always better than store-bought, whatever. It was very good, though. Mm -hmm. Just make sure. Okay, so the first half of the batch... I forgot to roll in flour with it, so it was very sticky to, like, cut out and put right. on the tray. The second batch, I actually added flour while I was rolling it, and that came out much better. You just got to make sure you cook them for the right time right. so they don't come out hard as a brick. Yep. Which the second round kind of did a little bit, but that was kind of on me, too. Cause it's, it's still good. Middle of the doing something at the time. Yeah. And luckily, I remembered in time to, before they were all toast, yeah. you know, like, Dark brown all the way through, like one or two of them. We only we only had to throw three of them away out so. of the thirty-seven that we yielded yeah. out of what we made. Yeah. So, but anyhow, maybe we'll have to do that again in the future. Like I already have an idea for something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah, something I know you've never eaten before in your life. Oh God, what? No, nothing terrible. What? I'm not gonna talk about it. No. Okay. Because if I talk about it now, because I know how you are when food stuff gets brought up. If it doesn't sound appetizing, you won't try it. Correct. I will so, not. So I'm not telling you now. And if I do it, 
you're, you know, we're going to do another episode on it. Oh, okay. So I don't know if you like this whole taste of history thing we kind of did for the first time ever with Girl Scout cookies. Let us know. Ooh, taste of history. I like yeah. that. I don't like the cookie. Yeah. Y'all should make some. So getting back here in the story. Back, back on, on track. track. <laughs> <laughs> so five years later, in July of 1922, the, the director of Chicago Girl Scouts, Florence E. Neal, wrote an article for the American Girl which is the official magazine of the Girl Scouts. She suggested that cookie sales to be a fundraiser, and she also provided a recipe, which is the same one I just read off mm. to everybody and we made. Yeah. And in her article, she stated that ingredients for a batch of up to six or seven dozen would cost 26 to 36 cents. But to put this in today's money with such a large range of the price value, I averaged it out. To simplify to make all this section easier for me, mm-hmm. it averaged out to be thirty-one cents, and in thirty-one cents in nineteen twenty-two, equaling out to five dollars and sixty-four cents today mm-hmm. in twenty in twenty twenty-four. She would also suggest selling them for twenty-five cents to thirty-six cents a dozen, and the average of that came out to be thirty cents, and again, making them five dollars and sixty-four cents a dozen. Now that I actually had an actual month to use with this, other than in the past, I was able to give like the exact time when dollar amounts for these time periods. So even though these are from like 2023 numbers, I know they're not that much far off. So Mm -hmm. even still today and today in the modern world. So, I mean, honestly, if they're selling for $6 a box, they're not really getting much profit off of them. No, they're not. Actually, one of the things I I forgot to look up was the breakdown on it. Mm -hmm. I mean, even though when they are selling these cookies, it still goes into into the council and all the troops still get an amount. And, of course, you know, they got to pay the bakers and for that and logistics companies for transport and everything. But... With, you know, all those numbers crunched and everything and every year growing up, I always remembered hearing people bitch about the price of Girl Scout cookies going up. So with that inflation calculator and everything, just pay the 36 cents and shut up about it already. Right. Because I know you're going to sit there and eat an entire sleeve of thin mints in one sitting. And don't deny it, everybody does it at least once. It is very easy to do. <laughs> and if you're a cheapskate that wants to say, oh, just go to Dollar Tree. They're yeah. The knockoff ones are just better. You're dead to me. I don't care. You're dead to me at this point. I don't care how long I've known you because you're taking money out of the Girl Scouts pockets for to keep their troops going. Yeah. And this is why I put that fucking note to stay in topic because you're already fucking hearing it. And you're just <laughs> Your like, face is fuck turning, me. Turning red. Oh, man. He's so, going to start spitting soon. So, you know, because the Girl Scouts is my mom's legacy. So it's yeah. like personal to you know you still today i still get asked it's like oh was your mom goldie mangus i'm like yeah it's like oh yeah she was my daughter's leader or she trained me to be my daughter's leader and shit so and you've Mm -hmm. been around when it's happened so Mm -hmm. when people start talking shit about girl scouts and whatnot i will go be a battle scout so to speak about the fucking girl scouts yeah yeah i guess so you could say that's a hill i'm gonna fucking die on or whatever so it is what it is but anyway before i even even continue going on with that shit (laughs) because you already know there's one specific podcast i refuse to fucking listen to because of their way they trashed the girl scouts because they didn't understand the technology in 1970s and everybody didn't have closed circuit television cameras Mm -hmm. at that time when the girl scout camp murders happened so when their uneducated rant about security and whatnot went yeah. on it was like i'm fucking dying yeah but anyway <clears throat> because before i because i'm already gone on almost like six minutes at this point <sighs> <laughs> 
And this is why I put it in my script. Try to stay on topic because <laughs> I knew this would fucking happen once I started talking about the girls, the knockoffs at Dollar Tree and everything. Yeah. So up until 1928, these cookie sales were for general fundraising. And in this year, it would be suggested that troops start selling these cookies to become self-supporting, which probably was a blessing in disguise as the Great Depression would happen the following year. And even during the Great Depression, they still made their cookies. People still were able to buy them. Um, one of the first, or like the first, like, I guess you could say, booth sales actually happened in a General Electric building where they were selling them for like 48 cookies in the, for the 30 cents they were selling them at the time, which mm-hmm. I don't cannot understand why they went from 12 to three times as much during the Great Depression era. I couldn't find a reason why they did that. So even though through the Great Depression, the girls would still push on making their cookies, which probably was a small slice of heaven for everyone struggling. The Girl Scouts would continue to bake their own cookies either at home or where they held their meetings. As popularity of these items soared, like we are seeing over an ugly-ass like thermal mug right now at the <laughs> time as we're recording this episode, the Girl Scouts of Philadelphia would organize the first commercial sales in 1934, contracting with an unknown commercial bakery, which I tried to find a name for, mm-hmm. which, of course, I couldn't, couldn't find it. And with their success of these Girls of Philly, other councils would contact them to be included. With these commercials, bakers now producing the cookies, Girl Scouts would now learn five skills through the now-established cookie program that many of us all know and my family knows all too well. And these skills would help these Scouts develop goal-setting, decision-making, money management, people skills, and business ethics. Okay. And before the start of World War II in 1938, the popularity of Girl Scout cookies was sort of 10 million sold. No, excuse me. Ten million dollars, basically. It didn't. Spe- I'm assuming it's ten million dollars. Didn't specify cookies or boxes or whatever, because boxes weren't happening yet. That's a lot, either way, though. Yeah. So, and of course, I inflated that to two hundred nineteen million dollars today off the twenty twenty three numbers that were available to me. That's crazy. Yeah, and that's such short of a period. During World War Two, with the rationing for the war effort, Girl Scouts would sell calendars along with their cookies. And these calendars would have different drawings of Girl Scouts doing various act- scouting activities for each of their month. They would also collect fat cans to aid in the war effort. Collect what? Fat cans. Because the glycerin and pig fat could be used to make explosives and gunpowder and lubrications for mechanical parts and whatnot. That makes much more sense. I was trying to figure out what a fat can was. I like... was getting to that part and you asked too soon. I, well, I didn't <laughs> ask. I was just like, huh? Right. Stupid titties. No. No, like you got to remember during the war, for every little thing was used for everything. Because I mean, yeah. you know, the ban on sliced bread for two months that happened. Mm-hmm. Look at that! How that did. That was, you know, a bonkers ass fucking story. Yeah. And after World War II in the 1950s, three cookie varieties would be introduced. So not just the shortbread that we've known. The Girl Scout cookie. This the shortbread is actually one of them, and this is where it gets its first original name. Okay. And these would be the shortbread that we made and tried. Mm-hmm. So now it has its own name. The peanut butter sandwich. And then the destroyer diets and self-control, the chocolate mint, or as we know it today as the thin mint. The thin mint is the best. I am thin mint from the house of diet destroyers. <laughs> Five years later, a cookie similar to an Oreo would be introduced. And nearly 30 commercial bakers are now producing Girl Scout cookies nationwide. They had one that was like an Oreo? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, it was called a Vancho. Basically, they also it was also paired up with a vanilla cookie sandwich cookie as well too. Huh. I mean, there's not much that really goes on with the whole 
progress of Girl Scout cookies, like in the 1960s, that's when the Samoa Caramel Delight comes into play. And yeah. yes, I will actually explain why they have two different names here in a minute. So from the 1970s today, different flavors have come and gone, and 125 million boxes would be sold by 1975. Wow. Near the end of the 1970s, the number of bakeries would start to be reduced as to keep the cost down and uniformity in the cookies to four and eventually into two bakeries in the 1990s which are the still two that make Girl Scout cookies today. The ABC Bakers in North Sioux City, South Dakota, and Little Brownie Bakers in Louisville, Kentucky. And these are the only two bakeries that have the legal rights to make these little diet smashers in the United States today still. <laughs> little diet smashers. <laughs> so why do the cookies have two different names? Because, you know, some areas, you know, like from where you're from, you know, you've had your Samoas, your Tagalongs, mm -hmm. and do si and... I don't spin her all arounders and shit like that. What was a dosy dough? Dosy dough is actually what you know as a peanut butter patty, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head. Okay, because uh, I've never heard of a dosy dough. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. I'm thinking maybe that the dosy doughs came from a list that I looked at from one of the bakers for my fun fact section oh, on maybe. different things. But now, so with that said, why do they have two different names? Because of licensing. That's it. That's the only reason why. So the little brownie baker place has their own license for the Girl mm -hmm. Scout cookies. And the ABC Bakers has their own. So because of them being registered trademark names, they can't use the same one. But they're affiliated and work right. together. Right. But since they're two separate entities with their own trademarking licensing, they have to use separate names. Huh. Okay. Now, but here's the weird part. There's only one of them that actually still shares the same name between both bakeries. Thin Mint? Yep. Hmm. I'll say, because I've never seen that called anything other than Thin Mint. I know, that's the thing. It's like, it's one of the things I've always been asked people because they know, you know, my family's history with Girl Scouts and whatnot. So uh -huh. it's like, why do they have two different names? It's like, because of trademark licensing. I mean, they're literally the same and some people claim they taste different, which they might be a little bit different. But <laughs> why only have two bakeries, you know, for uniformity if they're going to taste different? Right. So it could be in their head. They could. You know, it could be an actual thing. Who knows? Like I, a left and a right Twix. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, but who knows? I've never had little brownie baker Girl Scout cookies. It's always been ABC bakers in our area that I'm always been aware of. Well, I can tell you the Samoas were the shit. Right. So I don't know. Maybe one of these times we're up visiting my family uh, if we see some Girl Scouts out there. See if so, they've got some uh, Samoas. Or actually... I actually started a featured post in the Facebook group that if you have a daughter in Girl Scouts and want to have a link for other people to buy cookies to help reach their goal, go drop your link in that featured post. And it'll be super easy to find because it's a picture of Dracula getting sold Girl Scout cookies. Thanks, yep. Bing AI. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to move on to fun facts here. Fun facts. Fun facts. About 200 million boxes of cookies are sold each year. 200 million? Each year. Jesus criminy. Girl Scout cookies do not have any preservatives and are kosher. And they do offer some gluten-free options, too. Nice. And over the 100 years that Girl Scout cookies have been around, there has been over 50, 50 different types of Girl Scout cookies have come and gone. But, the three of that, but there are three that are always mandatory to be sold each year. Can I guess? Sure. Thin Mint. Yep. Peanut butter sandwich. Yep. Peanut butter patty. No. No? Nope. We literally just ate it. Oh, the shortbread? The shortbread. Shortbread, huh. peanut butter sandwiches, and Thin Mint are mandatory to be sold every year. Huh. There was one 
that one of your nieces had gotten when we were still out there. Mm-hmm. And I know we both weren't big on it. Yeah. Like, I think it had a raspberry or something in it. There's been a couple different raspberry ones through the years and whatnot. So wasn't but, wasn't really a fan. Right. Like there's 50, like it's like 54, I think is the t- correct actual number. But some of the previous flavors that have been was my personal favorite, which the little sons of bitches who got rid of these fucking things. I'm so mad about it. Was <laughs> the lemon cream sandwiches. Like, so I know I was literally upset when I found out they stopped making these things. I was like, well, I am not buying cookies anymore, which is not true. just the way you said it. <laughs> I was so mad about it. Oh, well, yeah. Oh so it like, was like this sandwich cookie, but it was like a lemon cream on the inside. And it was like. Okay. It had a little bit of a you know tang to it like lemon does, but it wasn't overpowering. Yeah. So, and then there was my sister's favorite, the Golden Yangles, which is a little cheese snack cracker thing similar to a Cheez-It. They Never. were in the 1980s. Never heard of them. Like I said, there's over 50 of them. Yeah. And this was only some of the ones I could find on, on the internet, and I knew there was more because of trademark licensing. Oh, so then there, I do remember this one, the apple cinnamon, which was an apple shaped cookie that tasted like apple cinnamon. It was a reduced fat one. Damn. I would have right. liked to try that one. I don't remember that one. Uh, then there was a kookaburras in the 1980s and it was similar to a little Debbie Star Crunch. Ugh. It was named after a bird from Australia. And a cinnamon style bun named Cinnaspins. Cinnaspins? Yep. I kind of, I think we had these in our area, but it looked like a little, like, Feels very cinnamon roll and it mm. tasted like cinnamon roll. To be fair, I only got to have what my parents got, right. what my dad in particular got. Right. And basically that was the peanut butters and right. the Thin Mint. And that's probably where your peanut butter obsession came from. I don't or know. Or addiction, I guess. I've got, I've got hardcore peanut butter. Yeah. Obsession. And then there's the Olay Olays made of pecan, uh, pecans and coconut and covered in powdered sugar. So basically like those little Mexican wedding cake things that Archway yeah. used to make. That's what they were basically. Huh. 2012, there was a Savannah Smile, which was a, supposed, was a tribute to Juliet Gordon-Lowe, the founder of the Girl Scouts, which was like a little parlor um, tea cake that was lemon flavored. Okay. Because she was from Savannah, Georgia. So that was, you know, entertaining in tea rooms was a big thing. In her time period in the southern United States. So that was like a tribute to her. And the name Savannah Smiles is a play on words of one of the Brownie songs that's out there. Oh. For the Brownie Scouts. Oh, for a short time, one cookie was more popular than the Thin Mint. And that's the Raspberry Rally from last year. And boxes of these were selling over for $100 on eBay and will not be returning this year. People, they like, troops cannot keep it up in demand. So it was looked like... From what I saw in the pictures, it looked like a thin mint, but the cookie inside was like raspberry flavor. So I don't know. Maybe that's the one you're thinking of. The other is no, a different one. It was different. Like I don't. I like. I saw pictures of this, and I don't vaguely remember this one, or I don't think we got it because we weren't interested. I don't remember. The world's largest Girl Scout cookie was made in 2009 in Philadelphia for the council's 75th anniversary, weighing in at 75 pounds, eight feet in diameter, and made a short bed and in the shape of the Girl Scouts logo. <laughs> what? This was a, a, just a one-off, right? Yeah, that was okay. Because I'm trying to, like, logistically, how this was, do you make them that big? No, this was the one world's largest Girl Scout cookie. Okay, was, okay. Oh, only one of these was made, was and it was for this council's 75th anniversary. My brain went on stupid mode for well, a minute. <laughs> your brain was probably still on, well, like, 
one dozen counts, basically, from... Pretty much, yeah. And I was like, how... How is that possible? That's a lot of... That'd be expensive. Right, that'd be one large box. Nobody likes a big box. <laughs> <laughs> and she's the child this week, as where <clears throat> I was a couple of weeks ago about ball cams and whatnot on New <clears throat> for Times Square. Yeah. <laughs> In 1981, United Airlines bought two million Girl Scout cookies to serve as desserts for its passengers. This cost $50,000 in March of 1981, and coming up to the numbers available to me, this would be $164,000 today. Wow. And this is still considered the largest single purchase of Girl Scout cookies in history. That's really surprising, because there's people that, I mean, they go hard right, but, on Girl Scout cookies. But to spend $164,000 $164, on Girl Scout cookies, nah, I don't see someone personally doing that. I mean, a couple hundred I can see, but not know. a six-figure number other than an airline like this. Jan Davis, retired astronaut, took shortbread cookies with her to space in 1992. And she was one of the first women to be the space shuttle commander. Oh, really? Yep. Huh. The top five cookies in the United States are ranked as number five, lemonades or lemon ups. Ah, this is where the dosey dough thing came from. Number four, peanut butter sandwiches, dosey doughs. Those were dosey doughs? Yep. Weird. Or, and then number three is the peanut butter patties slash tagalongs. Number two, caramel delights, Samoas. And of course, number one, Thin Mint. Mm-hmm. Of course. I had to actually look it up to see what the other first, the other four were going to be because I already knew that one off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And if you ever follow, if you know, follow me on my personal page, this is actually where the dumbest thing Google's ever presented to me came from. You know, those top five things oh, other yeah. people have Googled is like, is the Girl Scouts continuing the Thin Mint? It's never going to happen. Hell will freeze over first before that does. It's their bestseller. Why would they get rid of it? I don't know. I don't know why somebody would ask such a dumb question. It is what it is. Because I'm pretty sure those first four, all five of these, even though it's the wrong lemon cookie, will probably always be the top five unless something else comes along the way that gets released every year. There was one that I had with you that was a a new lemon that they had come out with, Mm -hmm. and I did not like those at all. Right. But I'm not big on lemon. And I don't think there's a new one this year like they normally do. Mm -hmm. I'll have to go look at somebody's list of, you know, cookie list if it gets posted again. Yeah. Well, Deja and another lady mm-hmm. have posted their yep. their child's links. So even if you don't have a child that does Girl Scouts, go to our Facebook group, find right. that that uh, thread, order some from Deja and Kristen. They've already mm-hmm. got their links up there and go support the Girl Scouts. Yep. I think it's time we close the Emporium up for the day, Sarah. I agree. It's cookie time. Mm-hmm. So until next time. Remember to creep it real. Don't forget to dust off the crumbs from your shirt. <laughs> yep. Goodbye. Bye. Please go and check out our website at macabemporiumpodcast.com. Join our Facebook group by searching Macabre Emporium. Like and subscribe on YouTube at Macabre Emporium Podcast. Follow us on TikTok at Macabre Emporium Pod. Follow us on Twitter at Macabre Emporium. If you have any stories of the paranormal, your local true crime or weird history that you would like us to look into and possibly do an episode on, email us at macabemporiumpod at gmail.com. And remember to follow, rate, review, and share whenever and wherever you can to help us grow our podcast.
I fucking spaced it. I don't know what the fuck's going on with my goddamn hand right now, but anyway. 